0: Welcome to the Someone Summer Podcast. It's October 1st, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 27. This episode is brought to you by my fertility awareness education initiative, FAM Taught Me. I'm sharing my fertility awareness work on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash famtaughtme, and you can also follow me on Instagram at famtaughtme to learn more. I'm available for one-on-one consultations, and I'd love to work with you on learning more fertility awareness and body literacy skills. And look out for my paper charting journal, which will be released soon. I'm excited to share that I'll be providing discreet hand chart books to help you get started. More info on that soon. This episode is going to inform you about digital menstrual apps and their privacy policies. What happens to your data when you use menstrual tracking apps? Who made these apps, and why is menstrual data valuable to advertisers? Is it worth it to share your data with these companies, and what, if any, consumer protections exist? All of this and more in this episode of the Someone, Somewhere podcast. As a practicing user of the fertility awareness method, I know the value and the power of menstrual data. I know how it can be a tool for learning about one's body and to wield one's own authority over their fertile body. I'm also keenly aware that the fervor around menstrual charting and biodata in general isn't actually about taking control over your health or providing radical health education. Instead, we've skipped over most of that and we've gone right into developing products and services which consumers can purchase, which can quote predict and use the almighty algorithm to tell us about ourselves. Well, as I've said many times before on this podcast, we are not algorithms. This issue I see as a huge problem, and probably one of the worst parts of doing this work is correcting misinformation related to the digitization and commercialization of menstrual biodata. On top of gynecology ignoring the usefulness of patients taking their own menstrual data and refusing to see it as legitimate, we also have to deal with those that seek to exploit menstruators for their data, to sell them more sexism through ads and products. The tools that most of us are using were not made for us. Instead, they were made for those who are interested in collecting our data. Karen Levy, an assistant professor of information science at Cornell University, notes, The design of these tools often doesn't acknowledge the full range of women's needs. There are strong assumptions built into their design that can marginalize a lot of women's sexual health experiences. Some women have sought to change this. Femtech is a term created by Ida Tin, the founder of the menstrual app Clue, and more on Clue later. Femtech can be defined as digital tools and services that center on the health of people who menstruate, and this would be a good time to say that cis women have tended to dominate this conversation with the choice and language of femtech, but non-binary and trans folks also deserve representation here as well. I will always choose to include them and all queer people in discussions on reproductive issues. The femtech market is estimated to be worth $50 billion by 2025, with only 10% of investor money going to women-led startups. This means that 90% of investor money is going to men to create period tracking apps, but we could more appropriately name these menstrual surveillance apps. In the United States, menstrual tracking apps are the fourth most popular health app among adults and the second most popular among adolescents. Columbia University researchers counted around 225 menstrual apps, of which 17 had a paid subscription model, and 108 were free. They also cite the app's lack of menstrual cycle information and inaccurate predictions of the fertile window. As FAM users, we know that one cannot ever reliably predict the fertile window or ovulation, so the premise of their question is a little off here. But it's still good to note that the technology is being marketed and sold without proper user education, counseling, or proper regulation. How then do we know what is dubious technology and what is not? And why is there such an underbelly to this idea of femtech, something much more sinister? Activists have deemed this menstrual surveillance, but what does it really mean? A study conducted by the Electronic Frontier Foundation found that these apps have, quote, serious privacy issues and warned that users should be aware of privacy trade-offs when using a period tracker. The researchers did not name the apps that they claim are selling personal data. However, the EFF did a highlight of a number of common privacy issues. These include invasive advertising and spam sent by third-party companies due to data collected by menstrual cycle trackers, data not deleted even after an account is terminated, some menstrual cycle trackers share data with third parties without the user's consent, while others ask for consent but don't specify which data will be shared, sharing personal information with sponsors and partners, glitches vulnerable to hijacking, and lastly, call recordings. The Bump pregnancy tracker warned that calls could be recorded in its privacy policies, which was later corrected by the developers. As you can see, all six of these issues are extremely concerning. We need to really be careful about who we choose to give our digital information to, especially when it comes to health data. Menstrual cycle charting and fertility awareness is a lot older than we give it credit for. It's a pretty analog system. There have always been reasons to chart the menstrual cycle, and originally charting was just in the form of rituals, most of which were community-centered gatherings and practices relating to the menstrual cycle. The process does not need technology to function, contrary to what a lot of these companies would have you believe. For example, fertility awareness can be practiced with a glass thermometer and a paper chart. However, there are many people, myself included, who want the ease of using an app that can be logging basic information and organizing it in a clear manner for your own analysis. And we shouldn't have to trade our health privacy for a digital version of these tools. Unfortunately, the U.S. has some of the worst privacy protections for consumers, and each of us is pretty much on our own when it comes to protecting ourselves. Jerry Lynn C. Pryor, a professor of endocrinology at the University of British Columbia, says, quote, there's good evidence that women who track their cycles in almost any way have a greater sense of autonomy, which often goes with improved self-worth. However, she adds, I think many of the young women who are using online apps for tracking cycles have a curious sense of invincibility with regard to online security. Now, we have to make some important distinctions here. We're given a lot of menstrual rhetoric, and most of it is marketing. When we discuss menstrual apps or period tracker apps, we really could be discussing any of these. So I want to clarify the differences between four often conflated categories. The first is period tracking apps. These are apps which main purpose is to track the calendar days which you bleed and tell you the total length of each menstrual cycle. You're able to add other kinds of health data in your chart like energy and mood. These apps use an algorithm to average your past cycles to estimate your future cycles. But we know from fertility awareness that this will not be completely accurate because cycles change month to month. Interestingly, some of these apps will include the fertility markers of cervical fluid and basal body temperature, but we don't have any reason to believe the algorithms measure those data inputs. Examples include Glow, Flow, Clue, Ovia, Bellabeat, Life, and Period Tracker. The second category is fertility monitors, contraceptive apps, and smart thermometers. These are apps which connect to a device which takes a measurement of some form of your bio data and then usually makes predictions based on those inputs. The two most common devices are accompanying basal body thermometers that are connected via Bluetooth usually, or hormonal monitors which can measure estrogen and luteinizing hormone in urine samples. The predictions with these devices are also algorithmic, and thus they can be wrong. Examples include natural cycles, temp drop, daisy fertility monitor, or clear blue fertility monitor. The third category are fertility awareness charting apps. This is what I use. These are apps which mirror the analog fertility awareness chart. Typically, a line graph is used to mark basal body temperature, and there's a section for cervical fluid and cervical position observations, and those can usually be seen on the same chart. These apps, in contrast, do not make predictions about your fertile window. The user must follow the rules of their given method of fertility awareness, to which there are several, to learn when they are fertile and when ovulation has occurred. Examples include Kindara and Femometer. And lastly, the fourth category is pregnancy trackers. These are apps that are used to track your pregnancy. Some of these are the same apps as above, but they have features for pregnancy. So these include Pregnancy Plus, The Bump, Ovia Pregnancy Tracker, or Flow Pregnancy Mode. The University of Canberra's Deborah Lupton told The Atlantic in 2014, When you look at these types of apps, they're completely about the surveillance of the pregnant person, making them ever more responsible and vigilant about their bodies for the sake of their fetus. Because this information is not necessarily private, it can also be shared with advertisers, developers, data aggregates, researchers, and more. Patient Privacy Rights founder Deborah Peel told the Washington Post in 2016 that parenthood presents a unique point for consumers to become, quote, hooked on new brands, and thus this menstrual data is of these brands' particular interest. By monitoring the menstrual cycle, all of the above apps can, to varying degrees, collect personal data and put users at risk of having their information sold to third parties, says Coding Rights, a Brazilian women's think tank that specializes in human rights within the digital world. And now that we understand the general differences between these tools, let's look at them a little more closely. I'm going to start with the period tracking apps because they're the most used, the most popular, and the most well-known. I'm going to start with the Flow app. Flow has 22 million users in 200 countries and 6 million U.S. users. It was started by Belarusian twins Yuri and Dmitry Gursky, and they started in Minsk in 2016. These are men that got their start through startups, specifically selling viral photo apps like Prisma, which was hugely popular in Europe, to Google and Facebook. And now they're selling targeted ads to Procter & Gamble and Bayer. Think about how dystopian this is. A quiz on Flo's app, which is funded by Bayer, and Bayer sells a type of intrauterine device that claims it can regulate heavy menstrual flow. And this quiz will specifically prompt users to think about whether their menstrual bleeding is unusually heavy. Bayer physician Cecilia Caetano supports this breach of privacy, stating you can really bring the right content to the right place. This means that different flow users will receive different kinds of advertising, and what ads are deemed appropriate for who are obviously choices not made by or for people who menstruate. For example, a teenager using the Flow app might get ads for tampons, while a 30-year-old might be fed IVF resources or ovulation predictor kits. In 2018, the company stated, quote, Flow's total Series A funding is at $12 million, with a $200 million valuation. The funding round is led by Mangrove Capital Partners, an early backer of Skype and Wix, with participation from existing investors Flint Capital and Haxus, which is the Gursky's investment company. Haxus is, quote, focused on artificial intelligence startups. The freshly raised funds will be used to fuel Flow's next growth phase and product improvement. Flow's goal is to become the most recognized female product with 100 million monthly active users. The spotlight will be placed on providing a highly personalized experience for every user based on their age, health goals, and overall physical condition. Until recently, Flow is reportedly one of a handful of health apps sharing information with Facebook for advertising purposes. Despite what they may say above about their funding, researchers who dove into similar apps' terms of service found they do rely on user data to fund their products. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg emphasized that his company doesn't sell user data, as if to reassure policymakers and the public. But the reality that Facebook, Google, Twitter, and other social media companies go a step further... They sell access to our attention. Actual user information may not change hands, but the advertising business model drives company decision-making in ways that invade our privacy and attempt to control and direct our behavior, especially our spending behavior. When you download Flow Menstrual Calendar for the first time, it has a pop-up message that says, if you continue, you consent when the app is downloaded, but there's no easy way of choosing which data will be shared. Users are largely unknowing what this small, benign phrase really means for them and their data. So let's look at some damning parts of Flow's privacy policy. In Flow's privacy policy, it says you become a Flow user and opt in for sharing personal data strictly limited to the following set. Technical identifier, such as IP address, which also may provide general location information. User, user agent, IDFA identifier for advertisers, Android ID. Google Advertiser ID, custom-issued user ID, and other similar unique technical identifiers. Your age group will also be exposed, your subscription status to the Flow app, the fact of application launch, and Flow app sends your data to Apps Flyer, which analyzes it and provides reports and insights on how to optimize Flow's promotional campaigns. At the same time, AppsFlyer sends your data to some of its integrated partners like Pinterest, Google Ads, Apple Search Ads, Facebook Marketing Network, and a couple of others to find people like you on different platforms, including social media websites. These integrated partners analyze your data, so-called custom audience, and show relevant information about the app to people who might potentially be interested in it, so-called, quote, look-alike audiences. This is how new users find out about flow, get accurate cycle predictions, learn about the meaning of their body signals, and receive credible information about their health. You contribute to the growth of the flow community by providing your consent to use the flow app. Non-EU users may also directly share your personal data as defined by this section of the privacy policy with the following third-party services. Facebook lookalike audiences. We utilize Facebook advertising service called Lookalike Audiences to identify potential new Flow users on Facebook based on the information from the existing Flow users. We use the service to identify people on Facebook who might like Flow as much as our current users do. And to Snapchat. Snapchat is a popular social network and we utilize its targeting features to reach more people on Snapchat like our users. The next app I'm going to talk about is Glow. Glow has around 15 million users and is now the only HIPAA-certified reproductive health app. Glow was founded by PayPal's Max Levchin and four other men in 2013. They raised $23 in venture funding in the first year. This would begin the boom in menstrual tracking apps and, in particular, male-dominated tech's interest in this data. Though it is a menstrual tracking app, it's clear that the initial focus of developing this technology was to focus on users who are trying to get pregnant. For example, I found this Slate article that begins, Max Levchin wants to get you pregnant. He wants to pop a sprout so badly that he's actually willing to pay up if his new free fertility app, Glow, doesn't help you conceive. The 37-year-old co-founder of PayPal is all about harnessing big data to solve problems. Glow launched with the promise of using data, quote, to help get you pregnant. In 2014, in a funding round of $17 million, they received major investments from AH Capital Management, a private American venture capital firm, and the Founders Fund, a San Francisco-based venture capital firm investing in companies building revolutionary technologies. GLOW, in addition to tracking menstruation and cervical mucus quality and other typical hallmarks of fertility monitoring, asked users to log each time they had sex, including what position they were in during ejaculation. GLOW Nurture, the 2014 iteration of GLOW, designed for pregnant people to track their symptoms, exercise, diet, prenatal vitamins, and so on, also asked users to track their moods and provided a, quote, mirror app for the user's partner which would then ask them to provide a, quote, objective reading of that mood. Glow would also prompt sexist reminders to users who were trying to become pregnant and entering a fertile window to wear nice underwear that day, and it would also remind their partners to bring home flowers. It used the initial investments to branch out in 2015 from its initial pregnancy-oriented offerings and created an app called Eve, which documents, quote, your period and sex life. Glow realized half its users were not trying to get pregnant, but trying to avoid getting pregnant. And those are very different market demographics. Glow has so many issues, it's hard to know where to begin. Glow has had all types of documented privacy violations. I'll start with sharing data with other parties. Quote, we may share your personal information with third parties in an aggregate and anonymous format combined with the information we collect from other users. The app's terms of service reads. Jennifer Tai, Glow's head of U.S. operations, is quoted as telling the Daily Beast that they only share data with other health companies and in the interest of medical research. But Latin American coding rights group Chupadados found that those who click I agree to the terms and service of Glow means that the company is permitted to share personal information with third parties and embed cookies to learn more about its users. Glow is also known for directing users to information about products and services such as IVF and egg freezing. Glow's marketing strategy is to use a questionnaire on the app's website, which promises to debunk common myths about egg freezing. If you're unfamiliar, egg freezing is a procedure that can be invasive and cost tens of thousands of dollars and has not been done frequently enough to have reliably citable success rates. Glow preys on users who have been logging years of intimate data— and pressures them to make certain fertility interventions if they haven't reported conceiving. It takes millions of users on a deceivingly user-friendly fertility-directed pipeline that ends in promises that egg freezing is a viable option. Users planning to conceive can be sold endless products, and the global IVF market is expected to reach $27 billion by 2022. GLOW was originally created inside a tech incubator called HVF, the aim of which is to, quote, create value by leveraging data. Glow has a certain openness to partnering with pharmacies and health insurance companies. CEO and co-founder Mike Huang has also said that Glow data may be used to make accurate risk assessments, which will ultimately result in better health insurance. An interesting comment, given that the major North American life insurance company John Hancock just announced that it will only sell interactive policies that track health via smartphones and wearables. Glow has formed strategic corporate partnerships with Walgreens pharmacies and Shady Grove Fertility Clinics in the United States. Levchin believes that access to more individuals' detailed data through apps could help health insurance companies provide better services. Glow also maintains copies of your content indefinitely even if you delete your account. The privacy policy of Glow, for example, states that the app may, quote, maintain copies of your content indefinitely even after you terminate your account. You authorize Glow to use all such data, including data that may relate to HIV and or sexually transmitted diseases, mental and behavioral health conditions and treatment, substance abuse conditions and treatment, and other sensitive data even once you are no longer using the service. Lastly, Glow has security flaws that go beyond selling data. The data just isn't secured to begin with and can be easily hacked for nefarious purposes. In 2016, Consumer Reports found security vulnerabilities in Glow so severe that user profiles could be accessed by, quote, someone with no hacking skills at all. The way Glow was set up in 2016, all you had to know in order to see a user's full profile and account information was their email address, which is what led reporter Kelly Wheel to dub the app, quote, a jackpot for stalkers. As long as the woman's profile wasn't already linked with another one, the first person who invited her instantly gained access to her data, the Consumer report study found. Quote, that means until this week anyone, a loving partner, obsessive ex-husband, or anonymous creep, could link his account to any GLOW users if he knew the woman's email address. GLOW quickly fixed this issue and commented, quote, there's no evidence to suggest that GLOW data has been compromised. Yet another security flaw came from the Glow Forums, those communities of purportedly anonymous support. In the forums, users are identified only by their initials, but Consumer Reports found that a free security testing app could expand user details, showing information that included the post writer's full name, their email address, their rough location, and a number of details from their health log. With all of this, you can see that this app has a deplorable track record and should not be trusted with your sensitive data. A quick scan of their privacy policy has things that are downright shocking. Here are some highlights. If you choose to participate in GLOW First or become a party to the GLOW Fertility Service patient agreement, not only may you need to provide us with payment information, but if you become entitled to receive a payment from GLOW First, you will need to provide us with your social security number, as well as information about an accredited infertility clinic and proof of medical claims showing that you are using their services, We may use that information in making filings with the IRS or relevant state taxing authorities. You authorize GLOW to use all such personal data, including data that may relate to HIV and or other sexually transmitted diseases, mental and behavioral health conditions and treatment, substance abuse conditions and treatment, and other sensitive personal data. You should also note that GLOW does not guarantee the security of any of your private transmissions against unauthorized or unlawful interception or by access by third parties. You understand and agree that we may access, preserve, and disclose any information we have about you, including personal data and protected health information, and the contents of your account if required to do so by law or in good faith belief that such access, preservation, or disclosure is reasonably necessary to avoid liability— to comply with legal processes, for example, we may disclose your information as necessary to comply with an authorized civil, criminal, or regulatory investigation, such as a search warrant, subpoena, statute, or court order, or to protect our rights and property, or that our affiliates or the public. Glow is not required to question or contest the validity of any search warrant, subpoena, or other similar governmental request that it receives. We also reserve the right to report to law enforcement agencies any activities we reasonably believe in our sole discretion to be unlawful. So that's a mouthful, but all in all, GLOW, I just strongly recommend that you keep your personal health data off of this app. There's really nothing empowering about being violated in this way. And the offenses here are so damning, it's really frightening that 15 million people have already given their data to this irresponsible company. The next app I'm going to talk about is Ovia. Ovia Health is a collection of family planning apps boasting 13 million users. Started in 2012 by Paris Wallace as Oviline, they rebranded in 2016 as Ovia. An Ovia spokeswoman said the company does not sell aggregate data for advertising purposes, but women who use Ovia must consent to its 6,000-word terms of service, which grant the company a, quote, royalty-free, perpetual and irrevocable license throughout the universe to utilize and exploit their de-identified personal information for scientific research and marketing purposes. OVIA may also sell, lease, or lend aggregated personal information to third parties, the document adds. Making matters worse, OVIA is pitching a paid version of its app to insurers and large employers who want a heads-up on how many of their members or employees want to conceive. According to a recent report by the Washington Post, Ovia has become a powerful monitoring tool for employers and health insurers, which, under the banner of corporate wellness, have aggressively pushed to gather more data about their workers' lives. That data includes intimate information about your fertility, your menstrual cycle, and the progression of your pregnancy. Activation Blizzard, a video game company, is one of the various employers encouraging its workers to use Ovia's tracking services. The information collected by the apps is then shared with the company, allowing it to see how many of its employees are pregnant, trying to get pregnant, or facing high-risk pregnancies. Milt Ezzard, Vice President of Global Benefits for Activation Blizzard, told The Post that offering pregnancy programs such as Ovia help the company keep skilled women. The health information is sensitive but could also play a critical role in boosting women's well-being and companies' bottom lines, Paris Wallace, chief executive of Ovia Health, told The Post, pointing to rising rates of premature birth and maternal death as the reasons they want to sell this information to employers. Employers could use the information to increase or decrease health coverage depending on what they see in the data. Companies could use incredibly intimate details like whether or not someone was having a premature birth are suffering a miscarriage in order to make business decisions. Rachel Dubrovsky, co editor of the Feminist Surveillance Studies, writes For instance, the recent attempt by Texas legislatures to make abortion a capital offense punishable by death, and the Ohio, quote, heartbeat bill outlawing abortion once a heartbeat can be detected. Apps such as Ovia are particularly concerning for their potential to further restrict the rights of women to have control over their bodies, make women's access to affordable health care increasingly precarious, and put women's jobs at risk. Ovia's hyper-focus on working with employers is particularly concerning when in September 2018, the ACLU, the private law firm Otten & Golden LLP, and the Communications Workers of America filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission against Facebook and 10 other employers for unlawfully discriminating on the basis of gender. The complaint alleges that Facebook and the other named employers denied women access to job ads based on their gender by targeting job advertisements to male Facebook users. It seems that giving these companies information about your menstrual data can easily be used for discriminatory purposes, and there isn't any legal protection that can even begin to deal with how fast these companies are forming these tools and consumer pipelines. So when it comes to Ovia, I would not expect that your data would be safe. This app cannot be trusted with keeping your data safe from predatory entities when its whole business plan really hinges on them doing just that. Now we're going to talk about Clue. Clue is based in Berlin, Germany, has 8 million users worldwide. Ida Tin is the chief executive officer, and she says she strongly opposes running targeted ads, which she deems invasive. Although Clue's terms of service allow user data to be shared with academic researchers and don't explicitly rule out commercial use, the company is promised another strategy for monetization. Tin says, quote, I don't have to optimize every little thing I do and sell my data left and right. That's not why I'm doing this. People, they share data about the most intimate parts of their lives. They talk about their mood. They talk about their pain. They talk about their sex lives. If you ask people to share this data, you've got to have ethical conversations about what you're going to do with that data. It arrived the same year as GLOW, but took several more years to raise serious funding, provided mostly by Nokia in 2016. Nokia GP is a global growth stage venture firm based in California. Glue gives anonymized data to scientific researchers, encrypts its identifying information separately, and discloses all of its research projects in detail on its website. TIN says, Our scientific collaborations are exploring questions like what pain patterns are considered normal in which populations, what mood patterns do we see around ovulation, how might our menstrual and symptom patterns help us spot disease and illness earlier. Clue is said to have an above-average privacy policy, allowing people to use the app without creating an account. People can also ask for their account to be deleted from the server at any time, and personal information is stored separately from menstrual data. The team at Clue uses language, such as being respectful with people's data, making sure that it, quote, serves a meaningful purpose. But with the influence of investors, Clue will have to start making money soon, and it's unclear what constitutes a meaningful purpose. Clue has already started to include data from companies like Fitbit, and Clue's marketing manager has said they will be exploring, quote, several monetization experiments. While Tin takes privacy concerns seriously, she also wants to move the conversation on. Quote, it's easy to have all of these negative connotations about data, but it's a powerful tool and we need to be able to use it for good. I agree with Ida here. We both actually have similar stories that we started tracking our basal body temperature after we had serious side effects from using hormonal birth control i believe that the mission behind what she's trying to do with femtech is aligned with my own values of using this powerful data to empower menstruators to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves however as noted above we'll have to see what the future strategies of monetization are and whether their privacy policy will change i used clue in my own transition off of birth control but the app has since distanced itself from fertility awareness and using the app for contraceptive purposes. Functionally, it doesn't present information in a clear way for charting FAM, but it does have great overall health analysis, and it's one of the safer apps to place such sensitive data. Here are some highlights from the Clue privacy policy. Under health and sensitive data, we store health data, such as your body measurements, dates of your past and current periods, and symptoms or events that you track in the app such as sex, levels of productivity, good hair days, pain, and cravings. Clue uses this data for the purposes of providing services to you. We want to make it very clear that we personally select our scientific collaborators with the utmost care, and most importantly, that we only provide data for scientific research after it has been anonymized, following a strict protocol that involves the removal of any information that could be used to identify any specific user. Lastly, the policy says we, quote, believe that privacy, including data privacy, is a basic human right. At Clue, we strive to ensure that your rights are respected. So to me, it's obvious that the tone and precise language that's used in this policy differs from pretty much all the above-mentioned apps, Um, just in the language that's used and kind of the frankness with which they talk about data and protecting your data. Of course, what this actually means for the future with their monetization strategies we really have no idea but um, as far as in totality I think this has definitely one of the better privacy policies that I've seen now I'm going to talk about Apple Health cycle tracker in June 2019 Apple introduced a mental tracking app called cycle tracking in September 2019 it's finally come to iPhones and Apple watches with Apple's latest software Similar to other apps, you can input different kinds of bio data about your menstruation as well as other fertility biomarkers. According to the company, basal body temperature and ovulation predictor kit results will also be factored into the algorithm which makes an estimation of the next menstruation and ovulation. Again, we know from FAM and body literacy that making these kinds of prediction claims from an algorithm are unsupported, anti-biology, and just plain dubious but I don't even have time to cover that here. Apple has offered health tracking on its devices for five years, but just this month is the first time the company will offer its own app for reproductive health tracking features for the iPhone and Apple Watch. Four years ago, a reproductive health section was added under the Health app. It does include spaces to input menstruation dates, sexual activity, spotting, and other information. The section may have been made with conception in mind instead of serving the needs of all types of menstruating people. If you use a third-party period tracker, the app can still combine your preferred period tracker with the Apple Health app, and you can also see which apps are sharing data with health in the app under Sources. Interestingly, when Apple made its announcement about the cycle tracking app, they carefully emphasized their commitment to online privacy – by advertising that all your data will be encrypted on your device. Apple Health has an overarching policy for encrypting all health data, which can include medical records. This seems to be congruent with Apple's marketing strategy. Present Apple as a solid choice for privacy-concerned customers. Unlike some of the other companies we know that benefit from selling your attention and your data, Apple doesn't need to share your data with other companies and advertisers because it wants to present you with their own ads. Apple wants to keep not just your health data, but your sensitive data with them. So to do so, you need to continue using their products. And this is just one reason why they may be presenting their pitch into bio-tracking services as a privacy-focused company. Apple may not be sharing their data with other companies, but that's mostly because they want to collect your data for themselves. Supposedly health data being encrypted wouldn't be a part of that, but who are we to say, really? The next app I'm going to talk about is the FEM app. I'd be remiss if I didn't go over it. This one isn't particularly large or impactful in terms of number of users. It has about 400,000 downloads and probably even fewer active users but it made headlines this year when The Guardian published an article titled Revealed, Women's Fertility App is Funded by Anti-Abortion Campaigners. The FEM app has users in the U.S., EU, and Africa, and sows doubt over the safety of birth control, a Guardian investigation has found. It turns out that the Chioscuro Foundation, a Catholic charity, provided $1.79 million to the FEM app developers, And the app is run by Sean Feeler, a Catholic hedge funder. So this app could be more accurately described as an app for natural family planning. This is typically used as an alternative to contraceptives, which many practicing Catholic couples observe. NFP is different from fertility awareness because of the religious context and specifically the element of abstinence used during the fertile window. But otherwise the biological principles are basically the same. You're only fertile leading up to and when you're ovulating. And this works both ways if you want to become or don't want to become pregnant. The Guardian says the FEM app might be the first ideologically backed fertility app. And this is when I became sort of skeptical of the article because I highly doubt that. The Catholic Church has been teaching NFP for decades. And anyone who's in the world of menstruation, this is unsurprising that this group of people would also want a digital app for managing their fertility. Now, we don't have any stats on it, but it seems to me pretty unlikely that secular folks are going to be downloading this app when its intended purpose is to cater to users of natural family planning who are Catholic. To me, this is pretty obvious, but the article is written as if its main purpose is to, quote, sow doubt over the safety of birth control, when really the intended users are Catholics who are already opposed to using birth control. The most dangerous thing about the FEM app is that it doesn't make this clear that it's Catholic backed or that it's an NFP app. Instead, the website vaguely refers to charting, but neither of the phrases "natural family planning or fertility awareness" even appear by name on the website. Anna Halpine, who's CEO of the FEM Foundation, has stated that quote, "FEM has never commented on the abortion issue and doesn't work in that area." FEM is an organization committed to expanding information, research, and knowledge about women's reproductive health around the world. This lack of transparency to me, obviously, it raises serious red flags. And I would never suggest that someone use an app that has any affiliation to forced birthers or anti-choicers. Giving them your reproductive health data could have serious implications. However, I do find that the Guardian article, which breaks this story, may be presenting this information in a way that doesn't give proper context, and it seems rather ignorant of the history of NFP and Catholic circles. This has turned into a shorter talking point, which is people saying anti-abortion campaigners are funding period tracking apps, which overall really isn't the case as I've gone into detail above. There are various violations happening with menstrual apps, and the vast majority of them are not funded by religious anti-abortion campaigners, more like capitalistic tech bros who are selling your data to sell sexism, which is, you know, in my opinion, just as bad. Two other honorable mentions to avoid are the apps Maya and M.I.A., an investigation from Privacy International revealed that the Maya app by Plackle Tech, which has 8 million downloads, and MIA by cyprus based Mob App Development Limited, 2 million users, had shared extensive sensitive personal data with third parties, including Facebook. It found that shared information included users' drinking habits, medications they used, and when they last had sex. Other period tracking apps not discussed above are monthly cycles, period plus, period tracker, period diary, groove, and my calendar. I strongly encourage you to read the privacy policies and terms of service thoroughly on any health data app that you use. Of course, most of us are going to click right past it when we sign up for that new app and we want to check it out, but consider just how much people want to make money off the information that you provide in them and why they might want it so badly. Now I'm going to shift gears and talk about the fertility monitors, contraceptive apps, and smart thermometers that are kind of out there right now. I'm going to start with natural cycles. In 2018, the FDA announced that the app and thermometer device natural cycles could officially market itself as contraception. There's much debate around smart thermometers and the way they're being marketed, which is a huge topic for another podcast, but similar to other apps like Glow, Natural Cycles Privacy Policy states that in using the app, each user grants the company any of its partners also broad rights to use, reproduce, distribute, modify, adapt, prepare, derivative works of, publicly display, publicly perform, communicate to the public, and otherwise utilize and exploit a user's anonymized information. Christine Bannon, Consumer Privacy counsel for the Electronic Privacy Information Center explains These policies are just used by companies as disclaimers to reserve future things they might want to do. I think that it's important for potential users to be aware that they don't necessarily have the rights they would for health data like traditional medical records under HIPAA. Co-founder Alina Berglund is quoted as saying, we never shared any data for financial purposes, but that may not always be the case. Quote, I can't say we'll never share data, There's no guarantees in life of what will happen. The company already shares some anonymized and aggregated data with regulators like the FDA and with academic research partners in Sweden, the UK, and the US. Natural Cycles is also pursuing a pharmaceutical partnership with Merck. An early stage pilot is set in Sweden to study if Natural Cycles data can predict early signs of infertility. Berglund has stated that this is still a negotiation and data has yet to be shared with the big pharma company. The goal of the partnership is to funnel users from the app to fertility clinics. For those that don't know, Merck is a global supplier of fertility treatment drugs. Some other fertility monitor apps that I'm not going to be able to discuss here include Daisy, TempDrop, and Clear Blue Fertility Monitor. They all have similar privacy policies that promise not to sell your data only to share it with researchers in the future. They tend to use vague and imprecise language in their policies. Lastly, I'm going to talk about the much smaller group of apps for fertility awareness charting, and specifically the one that I use, which is called Kindara, Fertility Awareness App and Ovulation Tracker. It differs from period trackers and smart thermometers because it doesn't do any predictions. It's simply the analog fertility awareness chart that's been brought into a digital space. So it looks very much like an Excel spreadsheet. But interpreting the data and making choices is up to the user and following the rules of the method. I recently sent an email to Kendara to ask them directly about their privacy policy, and here is their response. Quote, your privacy and ownership of your data are top priorities for us, and we want to be transparent and honest, which is why we provide this information to everyone up front when they sign up for Kendara. All of your data with Kendara is confidential. We are not sharing with anyone in any way for any financial reasons, since our current monetization strategy is to make money from the premium and wink and other products in the future. Kindara may use your data for providing aggregate data for research, doctors, and our own reporting, but this data is completely anonymous and no identifying information will be shared with any third parties under any circumstances. What we mean by aggregate data for research is that the data will be put in the context of the larger picture. For example, out of 1,000 users, 30 users recorded 34-day cycles. And this is something that we feel is appropriate and useful to help better serve our community, and create better tools. You also have the right to delete your data and all identifying information at any time. So in plain language, Kendara may use your data for research and reporting, such as looking for and reporting trends on large samples of data, but we will never share your data or identifying information with anyone else, whether for compensation or any other reason. Your data is not being sold to anyone, and we will never specifically market to you based on your data. Signed, Kendara Fertility. I felt like this was a decent response to my inquiries about data. Is it ever really safe? Probably not. But you can tell a lot about a tech company based on its monetization strategy and commitment to privacy. A very interesting thing to note is that when the owners and investors of these companies are cis men, they tend to use predatory practices, sell your data, and use sexist design or language. But when women are running these companies, you'll notice that they speak more about ethical concerns with data and a general awareness of the issue of privacy. So that's it! Today we went over a lot of information about privacy concerns with menstrual tracking apps. And then I talked about Flow, Glow, Eve, Ovia, Clue, Cycle Tracker, FEM, Maya and MIA, Natural Cycles, and Kindara. Ultimately, it's up to the users to decide where we want to put our data. In the current state of the world, there's no reliable protection for most of our intimate data. And this is true whether or not we're talking about menstrual apps. We really give a significant portion of our lives to online and digital spaces, and they're some of the most insecure spaces that we could be in. There's absolutely no confidence that your interactions will have a modicum of privacy. Some people will never feel safe sharing health data digitally, and that's okay too. That's probably the safest way to keep you and your data from being exploited. Thankfully, menstrual charting is an analog system that started with pencil and paper. I find some of the language in these privacy policies to be outrageous, and much of it should be illegal. But of course, we have an industrialized medical system that's now rapidly becoming techno-integrated, and part of the future of that is going to be biodata. I think this integration between data companies, insurance companies, employers, and doctors is only going to become more entangled and even capitalist-driven. So it's something that we're going to see more and more of in our lifetime. As I said at the beginning, this is a huge problem to have people reporting their most intimate health data without ever knowing how to analyze it for themselves. Tech automation in the form of algorithmic analysis is quickly becoming the replacement for bodily education especially in the area of menstruation, sex, and fertility. Considering how we have huge issues in clinical medicine with people who menstruate not being believed, not being able to receive proper care, and even experiencing oppression and gaslighting during healthcare visits, I don't see tech presenting us with the magical ways to fix these social problems. No, the focus seems to be on how to monetize this data and exploit the social obsession with quantifying ourselves. And it's a shame because we know that clinical medicine and medical studies have systematically discriminated against people who menstruate because they consider the menstrual cycle an undesirable variable, thereby positioning the phenotypical male body as the model for a human being, which obviously has health as well as ethical problems. So this data being collected is truly new information, and researchers are going to learn a lot of what has thus far been ignored from the self-reported data. With that said, I'm a huge advocate for this data being used ethically, responsibly, and most importantly, autonomously. I do not want this data to end up in the hands of people who would want to use it to make us feel inadequate about ourselves or as a driver to sell us their products and services. Unfortunately, that's where this is all going. So as much as I love the app that I use and I think it's an incredible tool for learning and for teaching... I'm weary and very concerned with the future of this movement with autonomous menstrual management and body literacy. How can we get our message out and use the proper tools with this much misinformation about the menstrual cycle and tech supremacist audacity to claim that they can predict it? I say all of this to say, seeing all of these apps, homepages, boasting about accurate predictions really got me irked. We know that that's just not possible because our bodies are not clocks and they're not algorithms. And I want us to stop looking for devices and products to tell us who we are and to spend the time learning about ourselves and to truly understand ourselves and align with that vision for ourselves as people who live in cycling bodies. And so I hope this podcast provided you with some vital information about the privacy concerns with menstrual apps. Definitely choose wisely if you're looking to use a digital tracker, and make sure that you stay updated on what the company's up to. I know that we're going to see a lot more collaboration between femtech and pharmaceuticals and medical device industries in the near future. As always, my focus is on how to live as a cycling person autonomously and to put the least amount of resources and money into the system. To me, this means managing my fertility without the help of doctors and pharmaceutical companies, to use sustainable menstrual products, and to live by respecting my body's cyclic needs. Tech will not get us out of the problems of such deeply rooted misogynist culture. In fact, it seems to be reproducing it. And we must be vigilant when we understand what digital tools we're going to use and why. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please recommend it. I'm now available on Spotify, so you can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Anchor app. Please rate and review me as it helps more folks find the show. This episode is brought to you by my fertility awareness education initiative, FAM Taught Me. This is where I'm blogging and compiling my fertility awareness work, and you can follow me on Instagram at FAM Taught Me to learn more. I'm available for one-on-one consultations, and I'd love to work with you on your menstrual challenges. I'll also be releasing a paper charting book in the near future, so stick around for that if you're interested. And this concludes episode 27 of the Someone Summer podcast. Good night.